0: You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. And now you have to wait for the rest of the episode to buffer before you can, can hear the rest of it. God, do you remember that with Schalke? Like, each part okay. was split into five bits and you had to click through. Like, it would end uh, a chapter yeah. and you'd have to click onto the next one and load it. I think it was still a dial-up at the time. To a podcast of Spurious Morality, I'm Johnston, and with me this week I have Mansor. Hello, Mansor.
1: Hello.
0: And uh, we're we're here to talk about another sort of neglected little corner, perhaps forgotten corner of uh, the universe, uh, which is webcasts, which were sort of all the rage in, in the early noughties. Like it was, I think it seemed like this might be the way Doctor Who was going to go, or come back for quite a while. Sort of before Russell T. Davis and any It's Coming Back, Christopher Eccleston, whatever announcement. These these webcasts were kind of a little, a little insight into what could be, what could be done, what could be achieved. And, you know, by the time they came out, audio Doctor Who was quite a big thing. And somebody thought, well, you know, we can stick visuals to things like this and put them online and um that that could be the way Doctor Who will continue and it was I remember watching Scream of the Schalke and it was for me the very very first weekly new Doctor Who that I could follow each week and I thought it was absolutely fantastic I thought it was 10 times as fantastic when it actually came back to TV and we got Rose and End of the World and so on but uh, Scream of the Shalke, which is obviously one of the stories we're going to talk about today, does hold a sort of special place in my heart. It's kind of a an interesting little insight into what the Ninth Doctor could have been and how Doctor Who could have continued and perhaps how it shouldn't have done as well. Um, so before we dive in and discuss the the four stories that that we have today, which are Death Comes to Time, Real Time, Sharda and, as I said, Scream of the Shalke, Just um, let's have a a bit of a a general webcast chit-chat. So do you think they worked, Mansour? Do you think that these webcasts were a good idea? You know, at the time they were kind of, I guess it was kind of really, really looking to the future. You know, they were taking the internet at a stage before YouTube, before Netflix or anything like that and going, you know, let's see what potential there is here. So yeah, webcasts, what kind of, what thoughts do you have around them?
1: Um the, there's an interview on the special features of Death Comes to Time. It's I think it's the BBC Radio interview with Sylvester McCoy uh, and they've got some other um guest or commentator on as well. And the other guest is being very down on Doctor Who in general returning, um, like a few years before Russell T. Davis shows that showed that it could be done. Um, but also was being very down on the technology and the idea of webcasts. Um and Sylvester McCoy is actually being, obviously, you know, gently sort of sticking up for it and defending it, um, but was being very sort of uh, kind of forward looking in in terms of saying, look, it's it's an emerging technology, um, you know, it's going to get better over time, and it's going to be the future. And if you think about webcasts as an early version of streaming media, that's that's everywhere now. Like there are people who just you know have no familiarity with physical media at all um, and are like a little bit confused by things like videotapes or floppy disks or even like optical disks and um, so yeah in that sense webcasts in general they were an emerging thing Um, we were talking uh, before about how you know if you were accessing them on dial-up you had to wait for each part to download and sometimes it would time out and Sometimes it would come through as really low res, and um, so they weren't they weren't perfect, but they were like a first iteration of what we have now with Netflix and Disney Plus and uh, Amazon Prime. So I think in that sense they're like they were a massive innovation and success, and and the Doctor Who ones specifically, if it hadn't been for um, Christopher Eccleston coming back on TV. They were going to continue, like I, there, were, there, were going to be more Richard E. Grant stories carrying on as like an ongoing series. Um, so yeah, I think they had their issues, but they were a massive success and a, a big innovation.
0: I think it was a great way to kind of explore new technology and you know the emergence of the internet, and perhaps it did come a tiny bit early. Like I say, I was definitely still on dial-up when uh, Shalker came out. But maybe, you know, we were perhaps, you know, broadband was becoming a thing. Faster internet speeds were becoming a thing. You know, we were kind of just on the cusp of that sort of thing, becoming a little bit more mainstream. I think it took a couple of years after um, after these webcasts for things like YouTube to start emerging. But it, it it definitely, it was there, that kind of the idea of streaming, of watching things online. It was definitely well on its way um so yeah it's it is interesting sort of to look at as a kind of historical use of technology and i guess you know events ran away with it doctor who ran away with it technology ran away with it and it kind of became not the norm and i do sort part of me sort of wonders is you know is this an earlier version of something that that kind of fizzled away and it happens a lot with technology, you know, laser discs never made it, mini discs, Betamax, HD DVDs, all of these sort of formats that were, were tried, were tested and quite a few people got on board with, but ultimately it never quite settled. Um, in some ways, it's a shame that Scream of the Shell is a standalone piece because it sets up some really good and interesting stuff. And we'll come back to that afterwards. Uh, But it's very obviously the start of a series. Um, And it's a shame that we never really got any more after that. Um, But I think that's a combination of perhaps the technology wasn't quite where we wanted it to be, needed it to be. And of course, Russell T Davis brought back Doctor Who. Um, We'll jump into our first uh, webcast for discussion then, which was... Uh, Death Comes to Time, which, even though it's the first we're going to talk about and the first that came out, I've only actually seen it for the first time today. Uh, I managed to find it on YouTube, and somebody's kind of worked quite hard actually to uh, sort of boost the quality a little bit, make it fit better on uh, a modern screen, and you know, it, it looks a bit better, it sounds a bit better. But unfortunately, they only seem to get up to part three. And I watched the last two parts in the kind of original uh, way. And th- there was a notable kind of drop in quality there. Uh, but nevertheless, I got the story, got to grips with it. Took me a little while to start enjoying it. But by the end, I was definitely in. I definitely did enjoy it. I certainly think it's better than real time for reasons I'll discuss in a little bit. Um but you're far, far more familiar with it than I am, so I'll let you talk about Death Comes to Time first. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I, I really liked it at the time, and I still like it now. I think it's, um, it, it's like so many things. It's like a, a sort of interesting, weird sort of special event. Uh, you can see it as like a big finale to the Seventh Doctor's era, or you can see it as a kind of relaunch um so you know we are going to be doing spoilers for these decades-old um webcasts that are like uh, really difficult to access but uh, the doctor dies and um it's kind of a setup for a doctorless universe where ace and um and all these other characters that are introduced uh potentially go on to have uh, a series of adventures and you know ace takes up the doctor's mantle and uh, and carries on so uh that's really interesting that that sort of ambition of saying, look, we're not gonna, um, you know, there's, th- there's a space for like nostalgia and capturing the vibe of what was on TV. You know, the whole thing about, you know, tea time, 1975, but it, there's also something really exciting about, um, doing off media that just takes risks and does something different and pushes things in a new direction. Um, and that's the kind of, uh, sort of spin-off stuff that I tend to get more engaged with. Um, and it doesn't always pay off. It's like the new adventures. we talked about those kind of taking risks and you know sometimes falling flat on their face in the early days. but because they took those risks, they hit some really high highs and I think death comes to time is the same. There are you know bits that you might sort of um, uh, sort of question, but I think overall it still hangs together really well as a sort of ambitious and interesting piece and it yeah like i said it's y- you can view it as the culmination of the seventh doctor's era that we never had um because when did it come out was it 2000 was it it was after the tv movie so the seventh I doctor had actually regenerated
0: it was early 2000s wasn't it
1: yeah uh before the new series have... yeah uh, think it was like a couple years after big finish had started so that's the kind of context where it comes out um but it felt to me like it was like from a universe where doctor who didn't go off the air in 1989 um and the seventh doctor and ace carried on having adventures and they got bigger and bigger in scope and built up to this really sort of epic uh finale um and again i thought that was a really interesting choice it it wasn't picking up like you know minutes after the end of survival and just uh kind of like doing you know the, the next day from that from that point it was saying it wasn't patronizing the audience it was just kind of going right a load of stuff has happened and you've just got to keep up um and then the actual story itself um there's yeah so much i'd like about the production like the music it, it's got a very bbc radio production quality feel to it as well um uh, we, we were talking about how you you watched it with the visuals and maybe that's like a different experience to just listening on on audio um because i think they added some stuff to the cd version as well so there's like one or two extra scenes and a bits bits and pieces um moved around um but yeah, but I, th- I think you felt you weren't you weren't as blown away as I was <laughs> first time round with it.
0: Um I think it's because at this stage, you know, we've we've had lots of different versions of Ace from Big Finish and in the books and comics and all yeah. that kind of thing, and you know, where she ends up and uh, a few of the ideas from this have been used elsewhere and maybe even in a better way, I think. Um it just took a little bit of getting into. It like it it by the end I I was there and I could sort of see, yes, this is a really, really interesting direction to take things and you know, I do like the idea that time lords have godlike powers that they just don't use and it was, you know, using these powers was the thing that kind of did the doctor in and it is kind of a I guess an inevitable end for the Seventh Doctor, actually. And it's something not dissimilar to what big finish are playing with in um uh the last day we've heard part one obviously part two is a few months off yet but i i get I get the impression that they, you know they're trying to do something fairly similar here in terms of you know the seventh doctor that kind of thing um but it just it felt like it took a while to get there you know the first the very first scene in part one was big and explosive and a complete waste of Jacqueline Pierce, who's dead within the first five minutes. Um, well,
1: the cast is amazing, actually. Look, oh, the cast is
0: incredible, yeah. Um, and I, But I saw Jacqueline Pierce and thought, oh, yeah, brilliant. This will be good. Oh, she's dead. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: well, Nicholas Courtney's in it as well. Like, for, Is it for a line or two at the end?
0: Yeah, he, he had a good 10 seconds, if that. <laughs> And again, you know, like you say, it's kind of, it's there to set up a a series in a Doctorless universe with the Minister of Chance and Ace and the Brigadier and all this kind of thing. Um, And I I do like that, but it just takes a while to get there, you know, and there are some things in it that just kind of, I'm not convinced they happen for a reason. You know, we're presented with a new companion who's dead within four episodes and it's not even a particularly memorable death the bad guy just sort of goes i'm gonna kill him and that's it um and then immediately after that the doctor's reunited with ace who's sort of in time lord training up until that point and there's an awful lot of stuff with her and it doesn't really seem to go anywhere like by the time ace meets the doctor Is she any different to the ace that we've known before this story? Is she any different to the ace that she was in part one? I'm not convinced the answer to that is yes. She's got a wand. Um, So yeah, don't get me wrong. Overall, I did enjoy this. I really did think it was a good and interesting thing to do. I can see why they did it. I can see what the aim of it was. um, And I think it's overall very, very well executed. Uh, there just seemed to be an awful lot of ideas in there being thrown about. And actually, maybe yeah. they didn't all need to be there or maybe more time was needed to explore them. Or It felt like the finale to a series that didn't happen, which is exactly what it is, kind of. It, it's There's obviously a lot between survival and this or even the Big Finish stuff that was released up until that point and this. Um, And I kind of wish that some of it would maybe have been expanded on. You know, the whole little sort of vampire storyline in the second episode, I think it was, I kind of wish that that had been stretched out a bit longer. We could have had more than that. That's kind of good. Doctor and Antimony just kind of operating as the Doctor and a Companion would. And if we'd have had more of that, I'd have been able to, care about antimony when he's eventually killed mm. a little bit more as it was it was oh this character i met an hour and a half ago is gone okay then um so yeah i i wish this had been the finale two series and not just the finale to the seventh doctor just watch this telly stuff beforehand and assume some of the stuff happened since
1: yeah I see that. I I, th- I think like the reason that didn't stand out for me is that I think all those things are done but with a shorthand and yeah maybe the impact would have been more if we'd had like you know a big finished box set box set and a, tr- a trilogy of stories where you know you get to know Antimony and um and his background and um but I think I think it's there in the writing and also the the performance. I think this is one of Sylvester McCoy's better performances. Um and I said about, you know, the music and the production. I think that really carries it as well. Um, just like the sound design and the music. Um I was I was thinking earlier today just how it it i I just made the connection today that it reminds me of season eighteen and um uh you know, in Logopolis and like those last few Tom Baker stories, how just the music has this kind of bittersweet uh, tone that, that sort of fits with this theme of decay and entropy and things ending. And, yeah, I I, I really like it on a sort of production and story and ambition uh, level. And and I think maybe it would have been retrospective, but some of those things that you know, like you understandably picked up as being gaps if it had gone to a series, maybe those could have been fleshed out retrospectively, like we could have gotten flashbacks or more adventures and stuff with the vampires or the different, the huge cast of characters that are set up in this story. Um, so yeah, I think it's a real shame, um, like with Shalke, that this didn't carry on in some form.
0: I um, I definitely think that it's, it's worth me going back to, but I think if I went back to it, I'd go back and just do the audio. I think you can buy it as just like an audio or get a CD on eBay or whatever. Because I think that actually audio, it was absolutely fantastic. I think the production was amazing. Like you say, the cast is exceptional. And I think the way to watch it in 2024 isn't a dodgy pirated copy on YouTube or a copy that somebody's attempted to upscale I don't think watching it is the way to go at all, actually, I think that probably just listening to it and perhaps giving the visuals over to my own imagination might be um or well, might have its advantages so when i when I do it again and I will do it again, um I think I'm gonna go just audio. I think that's probably the way the way forward for me on this one,
1: yeah, and I think there are a few extra scenes in the audio version as well um and i mean the the visuals are interesting to take a look at just like as a historical curio and i'm not talking down the art, because i think was it lee sullivan who who did the artwork for yes. them yes but it's, I think it's it was. just it, it, again it's like an emerging medium and you know the animation you know, it's it's maybe generous to call it animation it's like quite static images that are occasionally floating around the screen a little bit if i remember rightly yeah um, so it's more just like visuals like accompanying uh, an audio story
0: i mean we have we have fan made stuff uh, for big finish stuff now that that completely eclipses this um you know the the, the josh, josh snare's animation of um, out of time for example yeah it, it's it It's light years ahead of what and I know that this is twenty years later, but you know this is this is a fan project whereas obviously Death come to Time is something that was officially released by the BBC um so it it's as a sort of historical artifact, yeah, you're absolutely right, it's very interesting to look at, but I genuinely don't think it's the best way to enjoy this story today.
1: I agree. And and again like I don't think it's any reflection on the artist. I think if you look at some of those images in isolation, they're quite nice. It's just yeah. It doesn't quite work as like attempting to simulate video or motion.
0: Yeah. It I mean it was a great effort like you say not to take away from any of the artwork at all. It you know, it looked brilliant, but it it was little more than a loose canon reconstruction really when you think about it. Um, you know, the opening titles were, um, sort of a, a star field, a painted star field that occasionally just got a little bit brighter and it wasn't in time with the music or anything. It seemed to be just on its own every now and again, it just sort of pulsated with a bit of light before going dark again and then smash cut to a logo. Um, obviously, you know, as we, as we move on uh, through these webcasts, the title sequence has got a little bit more uh, dynamic. Yeah, yeah. but um, it was—it's uh, it, definitely a product of its time, and I think it's very clear that this is a first go as well as far as Doctor Who webcasts go. Um, we'll move on though, and we'll move on to—I'm just going to say it. It didn't improve on the second go. Let's get it out there. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to real time, which I have seen a couple of times before. And it's now that I've seen Death Comes to Time, I'd say real time is more of the same, but a story that's nowhere near as good.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's got like elements that should have worked for me. Like Evelyn is one of my favorite companions. It's got. Yeah. Lee and Herring in it as like you know two comedians who I I, I really like. Um, it, it, it it tries to do something different, but yeah, this doesn't come together very. Uh, I think it doesn't it doesn't help it that it's it kind of ends. You know those Doctor Who stories that are six parts, and like at the end of part four, you think the story's finished, and then there's a twist, and there's another two episodes. It yeah. feels like we got the first four episodes of one of those, and they forgot to include the last two. Um, yes, it, it, that doesn't help it either. <laughs> it feels like a.
0: It's almost like the Doctor just leaving, leaving the rat eating Leela in Talons of Weng-Chiang. That's it. That's where the story ends.
1: Or invasion um, of time, like they just they just leave Gallifrey and. Um, <laughs>
0: when the Sontarans yeah. show up.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah or whatever happens at the end of part 4 the Armageddon factor i forget it <laughs> um, but yeah it, it kind of it's on its own it's yeah it's all right it's quite good it's it fits into what big finish were doing at the time with the sixth doctor and evelyn like you say evelyn's a great companion and this is one of the weaker stories there's no way around that um it's you know it it's good to have an Evelyn Cyberman story. It's an interesting idea, and it's it's brutal, like this is far more violent than your normal big finish and it's you know even you know take the take the visuals out of it. there's a lot of heads being crushed and bones cracking and blood flying all over the place and the visuals kind of don't hold back on this as well. It's like, oh, well, wow. the Cybermen are just popping people's heads yeah. to kill them.
1: Did you it's... watch the visual version yes. of this? Yes, yes. Um, in fact, I've never heard
0: heartache. it. I've never heard it on its own. I've only ever seen the visual. Um, and, yeah, it, it, I was I was kind of taken a little back by just how far it goes. Like, if this story was made in let's say it was made as part of the original season 23 or whatever, if it was made around the Sixth Doctor's time, it wouldn't have gone into that level of violence. Like, you know, Attack of the Cybermen often gets called out for being violent. And I do think, you know, with the Cybermen, there should be some, you know, a bit of blood and a bit of gore and a bit of horribleness. But
1: this was like Torchwood class levels of... Yeah, it was.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I felt like in
1: a bit sort of like an empty way, I felt like I didn't feel like it was just really, really violent and gory. And I don't know, I didn't really get to know the characters well enough to to care when their heads got crushed.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I I was about to say exactly the same thing. It's kind of, it's gory. It's horrible that all of these characters are meeting such grisly ends, but who are they? Because... Again, we've not spent much time with them. They've not been developed very well. They're just people that happen to be around for the Cybermen to brutally murder.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, the thing that real time will always be remembered for, though, is perhaps the one thing they don't want real time to be remembered for, and that is the cliffhanger um, that it ends on. Um, Because <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that the controller of these... Time traveling? Are they time traveling Cybermen? They must be. I'm, I'm sure they are. The controller of these Cybermen um, is Evelyn. Um, I'm like, okay, well, This is taking Evelyn in a in a whole new direction. Like, what's going to happen here? And how? Okay, we're never going to talk about it again. All right. Then. Um. So, do we assume that there's an off off screen story where it all gets wrapped up and? You know, why did they work that cliffhanger in? Again, were they looking for this to turn into a series despite the last one not turning into a series and then making this instead? Or I just I, I don't know where they were going with that. They'd have been better off just telling a contained six part story and then, if it ever did become a series, do something about it. But, you know, Big Finish didn't even pick up that cliffhanger when they had Evelyn as, that- as a current main character.
1: And they made this for the BBC, like the because the production sort of history of these different webcasts is interesting. Because Death Comes to Time was, I think, all like in-house BBC, but then this was put out as a BBC webcast, but it was made by Big Finish. So it feels like it should have been the easiest thing in the world to, and and they put it out as a CD as well. It should have been the easiest thing in the world to do, even just a single disc follow-up to wrap this up in some way or even just a line somewhere to yeah. address it or mention it
0: you do wonder if there's some kind of licensing things it's one of the very 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 few now big finished things that's never made it to download it's still cd only isn't it oh yeah
1: uh, yeah i'm looking at the page now it's yeah cd only. so
0: i'm going to assume that it was rights and licensing and that kind of thing but you know, it, it's a good cliffhanger. It's a memorable cliffhanger. We're talking about it twenty years later, um, but it, 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 that's just where it ends. And as a result, uh, last time I watched this, I actually did it as part of a Six Doctor and Evelyn run. I was listening to everything. I thought, well, you know, I'll, live, I'll watch real time as part of it as well, just to see if, just to see how it fits up. And now there's just nothing. It is just business as usual on every other release. Um, <laughs> so yeah, completely ignore Cliffhanger. I suppose one great thing that it did give us was the Six Doctors blue coat alternative. Um, oh, that came from here. Oh. I think so. And I think it was done because all blue was easier to animate than
1: the, oh, yes.
0: the yeah. usual yeah. monstrosity.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that sounds familiar. Uh, yeah, that's um, an interesting bit of trivia.
0: And that's that's something that was obviously run with and, you know, the the Sixth Doctor having a blue coat has become fairly well established at Big Finish and I, I believe this is where it started.
1: And in um, toys, he's had like, um, like uh, uh, action figures and even those little um, Lego scale construction figures, those blue coat variant of the yes. Sixth Doctor.
0: Yes. So it, it's, at least we've got the blue coat. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we can forgive it everything else for, for
0: that. Um. So we've had two, um, two webcasts that never became series. Uh, I think what they did for this third one that we're about to discuss was actually quite clever, which was instead of coming up with a completely new story and ending it on a cliffhanger and paving the way for the future, they took... What was the current doctor at the time? Paul McGann, um, and they took Shada, which you know, Douglas Adams—that's a name that's always going to do well. Um, and they said, "All right, well, you know, let's let's do a complete version of Shada with Paul McGann, and you know, let's let's do something a bit different." And I think this is a runaway success. I think this is brilliant. This was my. First version of Shada. I hadn't seen the VHS um, version at this point, and to be perfectly honest, even when I had seen the VHS version, I considered this to be the default version until the animation came out on Blu-ray many, many years later. Um, I, I think this works so well. Kind of the idea that the events of Shada kind of got messed with, so sort of happened, sort of didn't, so that the Eighth Doctor and Romana have to retrace their steps. Um, What a great way of doing it, and it means we can still have Romana, we can still have K-9. Let's be honest, if Tom was doing Big Finish at the time, it would totally have just been done as a Tom Baker story, but um, I like the fact that this is an extra bit of Paul McGann, and I like the fact that it's an extra bit of Paul McGann with Romana, because they work together so flipping well. Um, so yeah, um, the Sharda webcast talked to us about that,
1: yeah, uh no, I agree, I like I really like this one, I think it's really solid, and um, I was familiar with the v h s version with the linking Tom Baker segments, um but I sort of s- slipped into just accepting this one very easily um it's interesting. I don't know if, if anyone's done like a side by side comparison, but like how Paul McGann sort of fits into a story and dialogue written for the Fourth Doctor really well. Like, um, you know, th- there's moments where you sort of, if you know the existing footage of Shada, you sort of you might have it a bit ingrained in your head that that's that's Tom Baker saying that. But generally, it, he he it comes across very natural. You mentioned like the dynamic with Romana; that is that is great and they do get some stories together but they um they don't get to have as much sort of fun in terms of just having a regular adventure like this um and speaking of Romana she it's it, 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 for her it's set when she is president of Gallifrey um but it's nice to have her have an opportunity to just be a little bit lighter and recapture some of her original character um, and it, it's it's a deliberate choice. It's not a sort of um, criticism of uh, the performance, but uh, a lot of Gallifrey is is very grim and serious, and I think that gets reflected in what how you hear uh, Romana come across in that series. So it's nice to have this little example of um, uh, the character set later in her life, but capturing some of that sort of youthful uh tone and uh sense of fun from the tv series um yeah and the rest of the cast are great i think is, is it andrew sachs as um sally avon um, um scagra sorry yeah and yeah and there's what is there's a few other sort of notable names as well uh like with a lot of these webcasts they get some really good people in for you know small or medium-sized parts and um just a really solid, solid story. I think the animation, they made sort of small improvements in terms of like how dynamic or ambitious it was, but it, we're still talking for these first three, they're all kind of of a piece in terms of the artist and like the style of animation being, it's it's like visuals accompanying a primarily audio story, whereas Scream of the Shellco that we'll get onto is designed as a, as a as a visual story. It's it's very different.
0: Yeah, it's I mean it's it's another big finish production this, so it's it literally is a big finish audio that they put some visuals to. Um again, I've never I've never actually listened to this just on its own. I've always watched it with the animation. And again, I think I'd probably get a lot more out of it now if I were to just listen to the audio. Um but I I definitely think that this this was sort of a worthwhile undertaking at the time this was the only way we were ever going to get a complete version of Sharda I know that we're sat here now talking with sort of 50 different versions all ready to watch <laughs> at any point um you know and there's a book and there's an audio and all this kind of thing but back then it was the VHS it was the few clips in the Five Doctors, and that was Sharda. It was still this kind of mostly missing, or well, not mostly missing, but partially missing. Kind of what could have been, and this kind of gave us a hell of a lot more than anything else that we had. So uh, I'm I'm really glad this existed, and you know I, I remember watching it online. It'll have been after it came out. I think I probably went to it as soon as I'd finished Schalke, uh, when that first came out. I went to this and thought, oh, this is just fantastic. This is, you know, this is really what I want. I want, you know, more Paul McGann. It was probably the only Paul McGann I'd ever seen or heard apart from the movie at that point. Um, and yeah, it, it was just great. Like, you know, we had this new Doctor, but he was with Romana and Canine, and they were, sort of living through this old story um, that never quite made it.
1: And that retcon was quite deft, I thought. They have a scene at the start, they explain it and then they get on with pretty much directly adapting the original story. So they kind of have their cake and eat it by making it fit for people who care about um, continuity and and sort of hand-waving that and then they just get on and do like a relatively faithful performance of the, the script of Sharda with like just a few tweaks here and there.
0: And am I, I mean, it has been a little while since I last saw it, but am I right in thinking that they actually use the, the plot device of Sally Avin being able to edit memories and stuff as the reason that the original sharda's is
1: missing as it were? Um, I, th- I think it was, I listened to it relatively recently. I think it was more the five doctors that they were pulled out of their time stream. Yes, yes, and, that's right. And then that disrupted them taking part in the events of Sharda that should have happened in the fourth Doctor's life.
0: Yes, that's right. It's the five Doctors that did it. Although I like my idea now. Half of it happened and then <laughs> Sally Aving wiped it out. They could have gone with that. So many options. I mean, I think I think really what we've proved is that we just need another version of Sharda where where this gets implemented because um, we don't have enough. <laughs> um One thing I'll never forget about this, just before we move on, one thing I'll never forget about this is there were sort of kind of, there were obviously aping DVD special features that went on the website with this one. And one of these special features, dare I say it, pretty much the only special feature, was a very, very short music video. And it was Kylie's Can't Get You Out of My Head accompanied by romana driving along in a car um wonderful bit of randomness well done bbc bbci whoever it was that did it for coming up with that absolutely no need at all but what a cute idea you've got these kind of like 30 second clip extras that go along with the episodes themselves and i thought you know they were obviously kind of looking at looking at expanding these webcasts i guess um and so we'll move on now. We'll move on to Scream of the Shalker which is I mean, it's a whole different league to the three we've discussed already. This is near enough a full blown animation. In fact, if I remember correctly, it was Cosgrove Hall that did this, who also did the animation for um the Invasion, the two missing episodes of the Invasion when it came out on DVD. So This has kind of gone to a proper production company at this point. It's not just been done by uh, people at the BBC or whatever. Um, So Scream of the Shalker was brave. Um, Richard E. Grant is the Ninth Doctor now. This is the Ninth Doctor. It's a continuation. Paul McGann has regenerated at some point. Welcome to this whole new official, definitely the Ninth Doctor era. And Before he could even make it on screen, Doctor Who was coming back and Richard E. Grant was not going to be the Ninth Doctor, um, Christopher Eccleston was. So what we have is this kind of unbound Ninth Doctor that never happened, and it's it's not the perfect story at all. But what we have got is, it's written by Paul Cornell, who would very, very soon go on to write for the TV series. We've got a new Doctor, we've got a new companion. We've got Derek Jacobi as the Master. What a brilliant idea. Um, You know, the Master is actually a robot traveling in the Doctor's TARDIS. That's a mystery that just never gets solved. And we've got quite a good monster uh, in the Shalke. They're, you know, sort of magma parasite creatures that invade planets from below. Um yeah there's there's a lot happening here it's not exceptional it's not you know it's it's certainly not sort of on the level of quality of the animations that we have for um for missing stories that we seem to get semi regularly now but it's it's nevertheless far 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 more animated than the three we've discussed already it's a really interesting piece and i really do think that were Doctor Who not coming back, this is probably what we'd have got for a while,
1: yeah, that was the plan. They were going to do a series of these, and um I think they were they had some outlines even for the next few stories but um and yeah, it was all uh scuppered by it coming back to TV.
0: I know damn Russell T. Davis just ruining it. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: um, it it wasn't like that critical, but I remember Russell T Davies not being blown away with Richard E Grant's performance in this. What what did you think of how he is as the Doctor?
0: Um, I, I had no problem with it. Um, yeah, I thought it, it's
1: fine. It's a, it's not. I
0: think the the, the, the um, sort of criticism have often seen levelled at it is it sounds like it's been phoned in. Yeah um and i can kind of understand that but at the same time this was meant to be the first time he was establishing the character and how it you know he was going to go on for a series i think it was originally meant to be a three story series that then got cut to two stories and then got cut to one story but that story was a six parter instead of a four parter so it was a troubled production from day one and I think that, you know, if we'd have got two or three stories out of Richard E. Grant, we'd have perhaps, you know, found our way into a more a more interesting performance, a more interesting Doctor. Um, not every Doctor has been completely there during their first story. You know, it, it's, it's like taking Christmas Invasion and going, oh, is that it for David Tennant as the Doctor? Didn't do much. Not much happened there. Um, you know Um, you know and if you take if you take um, the first four episodes as the first Doctor you have not got the first Doctor's character if you take Power of the Daleks you've not got the second Doctor Um, Spearhead from Space Pertwee's unconscious for the first half so it's okay Tom Baker's completely there already in Robot but that's Tom Baker um Castro Valva, okay, fine. It was the third, third, fourth, I can't remember which exactly it was that Davison recorded, and then you see him in Fall to Doomsday and you go, oh, no, he's not there yet. So to expect any Doctor to be fully there in their first stories, it's a bit bit of a daft criticism, I think. Um, I wish we'd have got more Richard E. Grant.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot there as well. Like, I mean, because Christmas Invasion, the Doctor's unconscious most of it and we do get a fair bit of this uh, feel for who this new doctor is and I do agree he might have had a chance to bed into the performance particularly as I don't think he'd really heard of Doctor Who um when he was offered the role uh so there was there was that and um but yeah like uh, you mentioned um like you know there the being bits of it that didn't quite quite work or like I think the aliens are, are, are fine. Uh, they're they're sort of on the level of um, yeah. Again, like with Christmas Invasion, they're sort of on the level of the threat with the with the aliens we have there. Kind of they serve a purpose. They get the plot moving. They create a threat. Um, and it, it and it reminded me of Rose quite a lot as well. The episode in that uh, you know the 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 alien threat is actually not the important bit. The important bit is introducing the new companion. Uh, the new doctor and their dynamic, um, and uh, I think it did some of that really well. Uh, like I wanted to see more of that Tardis team, especially with the Master in the mix as well. Um, and and there were a lot. Was, I, I rewatched it today, and there was like some really interesting parallels with a lot of what we would then see on screen from two thousand and five onwards. Um, just the scene at the end where Alison's leaving her boyfriend, it's kind of like a a much more mature grown-up version of Rose running into the TARDIS and just abandoning a traumatised Mickey. Yeah. (laughs) Alison has, like, a sort of quite adult conversation with him, and they come to an understanding that, you know, she's moving on, she's going to go travel with the Doctor, Um, whereas Rose kind of leaves Mickey on the floor and just, like, runs beaming into the TARDIS and flies off um so that that was an interesting contrast and and there's there's so many little trappings that I picked up on that feel very new series like the doctor having a mobile phone the kind of like off the wall ending of using singing to to defeat the aliens um they don't call it a time war but some sort of massive trauma or event that serves exactly the same purpose as the time war in terms of like putting the doctor in a bit of a dark lonely place and needing to come out of it um yeah this could have been like an alternative version of the new series that we had a, a few years later i think there's there's so many little modern bits to it you can see that it's like written by by someone who's coming from the same sort of mindset as Russell was. And they both 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 Paul Cano and Russell wrote for The New Adventures and kind of um, participated in all that sort of spin-off media in the nineties as well. Uh,
0: yeah, I think that uh, I think that you you're right there, actually. There's a lot that Schalke does right. Um, Or at least is on the way to doing right and then would be done really, really well in the new series when it came along. And you're absolutely right, actually, about Alison for going into the TARDIS for the first time. It's probably actually better handled than Rose and Mickey. Um, Even the idea of a companion leaving their boyfriend to travel with the Doctor, though, you know, stuff like that. There are definite parallels there. It's also... um, It's got unit in it, but it's not a unit story, which, again, is something that the new series does fairly often, even now does fairly often. Like, you know, they're there, they're present, they're doing unity things, but the Doctor's not reporting to them, he's not bobbing back to HQ once an episode to explain bits of the plot or whatever happened in the Pertwee era. It's... Even the way units are handled, I think, is very very sort of new-who. Um it's a really interesting insight and it is kind of this embryonic new series of Doctor Who and it, it, it just, I wish we'd have seen a little bit more or a re- wish that it had been recognised or I imagine that Big Finish trying to get Richard E. Grant to, you know, carry on with some unbound stories would probably be a a rights and logistical nightmare and also, you know, it's Richard E. Grant, he's pretty much on top of the world at the moment in terms of the roles he's getting. Um, yeah, it, it's... I'm always going to wish there was more. I'm always going to wish that it wasn't just Schalke and that the story continued and that we learnt a bit more about the Master and I think it has actually been followed up in... Is it a book a or short, a comic or something?
1: There was a short story. There's was a novelisation um, that was put out by BBC Books and then there was also a short story that had something to do with vampires or um, it was put on the BBC website. Um, But yeah, I'd also love to see more of this and yeah, it might be a a bit of an obstacle for big finish, but maybe a a comic or another book or something. Um, Again, this comes back to what I said before that like that sort of spin-off media that is a bit unusual or takes risks or takes things in a different direction just interests me a lot more than just kind of replicating what we've already had on TV dozens of times. I
0: suppose if Big Finish were ever to go anywhere near this or even allowed to, they've already got one of the three regulars on board playing the master. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah. yeah, So that's that's a start. (laughs) Yeah, we could have an origin story for the robot master. There's another little new series detail that I spotted, which is some kind of like hinted doctor master shipping with like their little answer phone message where they seem to be getting drunk together and leaving a voicemail message for uh yes. for people calling the tardis phone so <laughs> yeah there's so many little bits that would come back to be like recurring things on tv um that you can see in this so it's like a Oh, yeah, David
0: a new... David Tennant's in it as well. That's yeah. probably worth mentioning. <laughs> He's in it for a few seconds. He's like unit soldier number four in the corner or something like that. But yeah, yeah. um David Tennant is in it, which is a little bit of a new series link. Just a little bit.
1: Yeah, so that's a trivia question. What's the earliest episode to feature David Tennant as and Derek Jacobi as the master?
0: Yes, that's that's going in a pub quiz one day. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, I, I'm always going to have a soft spot for Schalke and I'm always going to be willing to kind of overlook any faults that are there because it it was new Doctor Who to me when it came out.
1: I, I um, like the animation, actually. You, you said that like, because... It, yeah, it's lovely. Like, I think like even compared to some of the like more recent ones... I I feel like the quality of the the recent ones that we've had for me it goes up and down a little bit and even if the the sort of technical animation in Schalke is cruder I feel like there's a lot of life and creativity put into the visual design that carries it and that you know it's coming from a studio that did stuff like Danger Mouse and really uh, like well-loved children's cartoons and I think you can see that that sort of creativity and the designs um, come through.
0: It it was a very sad day when we when Cosgrove Hall kind of stopped um, because they they did do some great stuff and I'd have loved to have seen some more uh, missing episode reconstructions from them.
1: Yeah, the invasion ones were really good. Uh, um, yeah, they kind of set a really high, bar. maybe that's the thing. Like the invasion ones were so good that it set quite a high bar for the other other ones to to meet, which I think sometimes they've. They have met, but um, yeah, it was a really strong start.
0: I honestly think Invasion's going to take some beating, actually. If I were to watch all of the animations together, mm-hmm. um, I think I'd come out preferring the Invasion over all the others. But I think it's the style that Cosgrove Hall, for Doctor Who at least, had a fairly sort of consistent art style. You know, the Invasion doesn't look a million miles different to Shelker. And they both worked very, very well. And, you know, I really liked the way they drew characters and expressions and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, it was a real shame when they went because I'd have loved to have got a lot more Doctor Who, no matter how how it had been, you know, be it something like shalker or a reconstruction of a missing episode or whatever.
1: Yeah, um, the, the Invasion I, ones I, were I like... just
0: wish there was more. The,
1: the, yeah, you're right. They're like The Invasion ones were like that perfect balance of recognisable as the actors so it slots in amongst the surviving episodes but expressive enough to take advantage of the medium of animation and not try to not try to make animation look photorealistic because that that can end up looking awkward yeah absolutely
0: um so we've we've talked about our four four webcasts um which which do you think is the best of the bunch
1: uh, I think Death Comes to Time is my favourite, but I really like Sharda as a really uh, sort of solid, like you said, complete version of that story. And I really like um, uh, Scream of the Shalke. I feel like I'm like... Uh,
0: Anything but real, real time.
1: time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like real time for giving us the blue coat.
0: <laughs> they, uh, um, the blue coat saved
1: it. But But like yeah like we said before like these there was such a sort of interesting experimental interesting run of stories both in like sort of on screen then also just the sort of fascinating production history and twists and turns of like the behind the scenes stuff and like death comes to time was meant to be a radio 4 thing initially and then it was turned down and so like this weird new medium was a little kind of testing ground for like Doctor Who, that was a bit too weird to be on, like you know, proper radio or proper TV at the time.
0: Yeah, um, and, and and you know, each one has its own merits. Each one works um, or does what it's trying to do. Uh, real time definitely has its its faults, um, and it's a shame that, like I said earlier, we never quite got that follow up. Um, End of the story. (laughs) Well, yeah, Um, I think ultimately I'd have to pick Sharda as my favourite because it it just it just achieves on every level, and you know the animation's never going to blow anyone away. It wasn't even going to blow anyone away at the time, but it had to be fairly simple because it had to be viewed on dial-up connections. Um. But Schalke in a close second, and you know, just the sheer, the sheer ambition, the sheer balls of Schalke. You know, we've got a new doctor. The doctor is Richard E. Grant now. We're starting a series with him. This is new Doctor Who. This is it. That that's that's what it set out to be. It, it was never, it was never meant to be this sort of one-off oddity. It was supposed to be a big, bold. Doctor Who is back. This is new Doctor Who statement. Um, well, they
1: explicitly, were, yeah, it wasn't just implicit. They just, they, I, th- I think they actually said that in the marketing and interviews, and, and that's what made it like even more unfortunate that it very rapidly then wasn't. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember stuff about this is the continuation of Doctor Who. It's, this is the ninth Wasn't
0: Doctor. Wasn't there even a Richard E. Grant is the Doctor DWM cover?
1: Uh yeah, that sounds familiar.
0: I'm I'm so, fairly sure it got the you know, the proper Doctor Who magazine is the Doctor cover. I'd have to look into that. Um i d I'm sure there was a cover with him, on. I'd be very surprised if it wasn't an if that is the doctor type cover. Um But yeah, just I I love Schulke for just being so ballsy with you know, announcing itself as this is the new Doctor, this is Doctor Who now. And it's in some ways it's a shame that somebody else came along and went, no, this is new Doctor Who now, and we're actually going to be on telly and we've got Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper. Um, And that's the only reason Shalker wasn't new Doctor Who now. So, yeah, Sharder I think is, in terms of, What it achieves based on what it set out to achieve, I think Shard is definitely the winner, but I think that uh, Schalke is definitely a close runner-up. And one thing I am going to do, based on sort of watching Death Comes to Time for the first time today, is find the Minister of Chance audio series, which I know is sort of one of those up in the air. Does it? Does it not count? Is it set in the Hooniverse or not? Etc. But the characters got me intrigued. I think it's a very good character. Um And, you know, it was great to have Stephen Fry in Doctor Who many, many years before Stephen Fry was in Doctor Who for not enough time.
1: Yeah. It, it's one of the many characters that's set up in that story that, yeah, like you said, could have had lots of exploration in an ongoing series if uh, if the BBC had carried it on. Yep.
0: Yeah. But alas, the uh, the webcasts are consigned to history, um, and we won't be seeing another. Let's put it that way. Um,
1: yeah, which I'm sad about. Like I, I I'm, I've I've heard the last day part one from Big Finish, and I, I want to reserve judgment until we've heard part two. But um, I, I know, like, very few people would have bought it, but. I would have liked them just to have done like a sequel or follow up to death comes to time, um, as like the, the big swan song at big finish and kind of follow up on all these interesting characters and threads and get Stephen Fry back and, um, and yeah, have explore ACE taking up the doctor's mantle. And yeah, so all that kind of that sort of tantalizing possibility of how things could have gone. That's part of the reason I've, I picked death comes to time as my, my favorite.
0: And it's certainly toying with some of the themes and ideas. You know that it—it's obviously been in the writer's mind when they were coming up with the Last Day Part One, but so was everything else. Big Finish have ever done with the Seventh Doctor, <laughs> uh, and yeah. then some.
1: Yeah, like Death Comes to Time is quite expansive in the number of threads and characters, but a lot of them are original to that story, and they're introduced in some way to tell you who they are. Like I said, I don't want to say too much about the last day until the second half has come out. But yeah, there's a lot of homework I think you need to do to to fully follow what's happening in that release.
0: Yeah, we'll see what part two brings, but it's uh, it's definitely a different beast to any of these. Well, it's been really interesting talking about these because they were they were a very well certainly Shada and Schalke were a very sort of big part of my you know, my childhood when there was no Doctor Who, you know, I got into this series that just wasn't around at all. Um, and then all of a sudden it was, um, and it was animated and online. It did feel cutting edge and it did feel like it was exploring something new and exciting. But then Rose came along and it just couldn't hold a candle to Rose. Proper Doctor Who on the telly, unbeatable. Um But yeah, it's certainly been interesting looking at this and, uh, you know, we we shall delve into the archives for another episode like this in future. You know, we've done BBC Radio, we've done webcasts. What should we explore next? What weird corners of historical Doctor Who that never quite came off?
1: Audio-visuals, BBV.
0: PC games. Destiny of the Doctors, it was brilliant. (laughs)
1: Uh, Doctor Who top trumps. (laughs)
0: On the PlayStation Two, <laughs> but for now we shall leave it there. So, thanks very much for joining me to talk about these Mansor. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, same. Thank you.
0: And uh, we'll we'll be back for more podcasting soon. Goodbye now.